The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. All right, guys. If you got your Bibles, grab them. Mark chapter 2. Mark is the second gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Chapter 2 is easy to find. It's right after chapter 1, right before chapter 3. Cool, so we're winding down our spiritual discipline series. Uh, We are in the uh, ninth week, nine of 10, I think. Uh, So we have one more to go next week. We'll we'll, uh, we'll tackle one more subject, but um, it's been a great series. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for for just being part of it, and hopefully it's been beneficial in some way to you guys. Uh, Next, we're gonna be tackling the book of Ecclesiastes. Raise your hand if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes before. Okay, so most of you guys have. A few of you guys haven't. Raise your hand if you totally understand Ecclesiastes. Perfect. I've got some work to do. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm stoked about Ecclesiastes. It's one of those books where you read it and you just go, is that really the Bible? Um, yeah, Solomon is like Charlie Brown on crack, man. I mean, he is like, he is the most depressed human in the world. Um, I don't know if I could say that at church, but I just did. So um, anyway, so next week we'll, we'll wrap up our spiritual discipline series. And then after that, we're going to do about nine weeks of Ecclesiastes. And then we're going to take the summer off, actually, and take a little break through the summer. So um, it's got good good things ahead. Um, But anyways, if you guys are in Mark, let's pray and get started. Father, it's such a joy to have the privilege um, of just talking about your word. It's such a joy for all of us to have the opportunity to open and read your word, to look at your life, Jesus, and see how you lived and see how you talked and how you interacted. And and Christ, we want to be like you. God, we want to walk like you and want to think like you. And so, Lord, as we tackle this subject of Sabbath, Lord, I just pray that clarity would really pierce through our hearts and our minds, that we would see true rest, how to pursue true rest, God. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a extremely tired people, and I don't just mean right now um, on a Wednesday night because he worked all day, but I mean as a generation and as a culture, we are exhausted all the time. Would you agree? I'm telling you, every single time, it seems like I I see somebody that I know, or or I say hi to someone real quick in passing, and I say, hey, you know, Billy Bob, how are you? Oh, just tired, man. It's been, I'm busy. How many times a day do we say, I say the same thing, just tired, I'm busy, I'm exhausted, I just feel like I'm behind all the times. We are exhausted. We are the generation that is literally running off of coffee, and five-hour energies, and Red Bull, and if you miss one, you get a headache and you can't move, right? Um, we have a Keurig at the office, and I seriously, the days that I study all day, like today from 6 a.m. until now, I'm just sucking down coffee all day, and I just feel tired all the time. This is our generation. But it's really interesting that we're so tired. When you think about the fact that our entire culture and economy is built around creating ways for us to rest. You ever think about that? This little thing happened about 100 years ago called the Industrial Revolution, where we stopped making things that were important, and we started making things that didn't matter, right? Like uh, better fridges, and better beds, and better sofas, and better recliners, and remote controls, and satellite dishes, and uh, electric toothbrushes, and all these things, right, that are supposed to make our life easier. You don't even have to move your hand, right? Stand there and hit a button, and it brushes your teeth. I don't have to get out of my chair to check the weather. I just have to pull up my phone and swipe a finger. So everything in our culture is sort of 
built to make us rest, but the funny thing is we don't. We're exhausted all the time. Like a couple hundred years ago, you couldn't just get up and, and go make yourself breakfast. You had to get up, go outside, get wood, bring it in, start a fire, and then if you wanted breakfast, you had to go out and get eggs, maybe possibly go catch a fish, okay? You, you couldn't just drink water in the house. You had to go boil water, bring it in from the well. I mean, think about all of the time that we don't spend doing things that people have done in past civilizations. What are we doing with all that time? We should be so rested all the time because we have all of this time. We flip on the water and water comes out. We flip on the switch and the light comes on. We hit the button and the heater turns on. I mean, all of these things should be freeing us up to be restful, but we are the most seemingly the most exhausted generation ever. It's really kind of weird to think about. So why are we so tired? Here's what I think. Okay, and here's sort of the premise for tonight. I think we're tired because we don't understand what rest really is. We don't understand. You can just bring it down if it's, if it's feeding back. Um, that's no problem um, until it stops, and then that's good. Uh, we don't understand what rest is anymore. Okay? We think we do. For a generation, for a culture that is professional at rest and leisure and play and fun, we are horrible at resting. We don't know what it really is. We don't know what it really looks like. And tonight, what I want to do is to try to answer the question, what is rest really? Okay? What is rest intended to be? So what is Sabbath? What is Sabbath rest? And secondly, I want to answer the question, how do we achieve that rest? Okay? What is Sabbath rest and how do we achieve that rest? Now, Sabbath isn't typically in most spiritual discipline lists. If you were to Google uh, most books that have to do with spiritual disciplines, Sabbath doesn't always come up as one, but I really wanted to talk about it in this series because I honestly think it's a huge, 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 huge discipline as Christians that we should be utilizing to grow in our faith in the Lord. And if you remember from our intro to this series, the point of every one of these disciplines is that we might grow in the grace of God, as First Peter says, Second Peter says, pardon me, um, and this discipline is a fantastic avenue if we could hone it, if we could do it, if we could believe it to grow in the grace of God. So Mark chapter two, as we usually do, we're going to anchor ourselves to a text, to a story. I love looking at stories with Jesus in them because he's the word of God, which means that he is God in human flesh. So if you really want to know what God thinks about something or what God's heart is for something, just look at Jesus, okay? He's the perfect embodiment. He is God himself in the flesh. So that's what we're going to do. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. It's a short story, and it goes like this. Looks like I can find it. One Sabbath, he, who? Jesus, okay? One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn or grain. So pause right there. Let's do a little bit of groundwork here, okay? It's the Sabbath day. Okay, well, what is Sabbath? Let's, let's take a minute and understand that. What is Sabbath? Well, f- well, first of all, Sabbath is something that God did, okay? Um, most of the things that we read about in scriptures, most of the disciplines, most of the, the laws or commands that we read about in the scriptures are part of the law or things written after the fall of man. But Sabbath, interestingly enough, happened before the fall of man. It's something that God, um, for, for very, very specific reasons, stitched into the DNA of the way that life is. God himself, on the seventh day of creating the heavens and the earth, took a pause, took a selah, took a stop, took a break, 
He did that. On the seventh day in Genesis 2-2, it says, On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So first of all, Sabbath is something that God modeled for us. It's not just a command that he made for us. It's something that he actually did and exemplified for us. Second to that, it's also a command, okay? Hundreds of years down the road, in the book of Exodus, when God is giving the law to man and saying, this is the way I want you to live, this is the way I want you to conduct yourself, as my people, God gives the Sabbath and reiterates the Sabbath as something that they're to do. Exodus 20, verse 8, if you're taking notes, God says this, he says, remember the Sabbath day. Pause. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, this is number four, okay? It's one of the ten it's a big deal. It's number four, okay? So the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, he says, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then he gives some specifics. He says, you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male, your female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. He blessed that day specifically, okay? And he commanded his people in the Ten Commandments to take a Sabbath. Now, fun fact, this is actually the most expounded upon commandment out of the ten. Okay? If you were to take them all and put them into some sort of a pie chart or a graph, it would take up 30% of the words in the Ten Commandments. It's a big chunk. So it's a big deal. It's important. It's, 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 it's very spelled out in the Ten Commandments that we're to do this. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's something we never think about. It's something we never think about. I don't know about you, but Sabbath is just sort of like this afterthought. It's like level 56 in the order of things that I think about as a Christian. But here it is, number four in the Ten Commandments. God commanded it. He said that that day will be blessed. And we stay away from it far. Mostly, I think, because there's a lot of controversy about it. Well, is it Saturday or is it Sunday? And what does it really look like to keep that day holy? We have a whole denomination of churches that have built their foundation on, the, on a, a difference on this, the Seventh-day Adventist church, right, um, that meets on Saturday. So there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of tension between that. And so I think, for the most part, we just stay away from Sabbath. We don't even really want to think about it because it's just, it just, we don't really get it, okay? But it's unfortunate because this is something just like marriage, just like sex, just like family that God made before sin. God said, I want you to Sabbath before sin even entered in and messed everything up. God's intention originally had always be that we would have a day of rest, just like work. Work was actually something made before Sabbath. Sin has changed it. Sin has messed it up. Now, Sabbath for the Jews is a whole nother thing. When we think of Sabbath, you probably go to, immediately you go to Saturday. Okay, if you have a, if you have a normal sort of work week, you think, oh yeah, my Sabbath, Saturday. That's my, that's my day off, that's my Sabbath. But for Jews, it's entirely different, and it always has been. Okay, their whole climate is, 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 is centered around Sabbath. Okay, when you go to Israel, everything is set up for a Sabbath day. Okay, for example, you go and you get in an elevator and, and you start to go down and you notice that it's stopping at every floor and you start to say to yourself, why is this elevator stopping at every single floor? It's because the Jews believe that they can't push an elevator button 
on the Sabbath day because they'd be violating the Sabbath. So they literally have elevators in these motels that go down and stop at every single floor. I witnessed this in Israel. It's crazy. Okay? Their whole culture is built and centered around Sabbath. It's a big deal to them. Okay? Um, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. It means cease or to rest. It's literally at the core of their culture. From sundown on Friday night to sun up, uh, sundown on Saturday night is their Sabbath. It's not like Saturday morning to Saturday night. They start Friday night. And it's crazy. When you're in Israel, uh, on a Friday night, we were there. You, you're literally just, there's people on the streets, and our motel was up high, um, so I could kind of see what was going on. And there, there was stuff happening, and then all of a sudden, sun goes down on Friday, everyone's gone. Like, it's crazy. Everyone disappears. Everyone's home with their families, taking part in the, the, the ceremonies and different things. It's, it's a big deal for them. There's no selling. There's no buying. There's no trading. It's a big deal in Jerusalem. And it was a big deal in Jesus' day in Israel. So, having said that, look back at our text, verse 24. The Pharisees, okay, the religious leaders, the experts of the law, said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So here's what's happening. Jesus and his disciples are doing what is lawful, according to scriptures, gleaning grain out of a field. They're traveling. They need food. They need nutrients. And as they're doing such, here are the Pharisees watching, following them, trying to find an avenue in which they can nail them to the wall. Okay? And so they choose this avenue. Oh, we got them. They're traveling on the Sabbath, which they don't mention that. And not only are they traveling on the Sabbath, but they're picking grain on the Sabbath. And, and they, they choose to call them out on this specifically. Now, question. Was Jesus breaking the law? No. Now, let me explain why. Let me explain why Jesus isn't breaking the law. You have to understand the dynamics and the complexity of Jewish law. Okay? In your Bible, okay, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the original, uh, the original Hebrew text called Torah, okay, the law given by God through Moses. Okay, that is inspired scripture. We share that scripture with the Jews. They just don't believe the New Testament. They miss Jesus. Okay? So you have that. That is the law of God. In that law, it does not say anything about what they're accusing Jesus of doing. But what the Jews did is they were so afraid that the Jews were going to mess it up and break God's law in Sabbath, they were so afraid of that that they did what, what scholars call building a fence around the law, okay? So if this is the law, they built not one layer, but two layers of rules. So just in case someone might even get close to breaking the Sabbath, they had so many rules that they would never even get close to doing so. Uh, doing, to doing so. Uh, so they literally had 39 categories of work that you could not do during the Sabbath. 39, cat, just categories they had rules about how far you could walk, how much you could weigh. I'm sorry, how much, not how much you could weigh. <laughs> you got to go on a diet. It's Sabbath. Oh, man. Let me start over. How much weight you could carry, <laughs> what you could cook, no tying or loosening knots, no sewing more than one stitch, no writing more than one letter. The Mishnah itself, which was the commentary written on the, on the Torah, was, had 1,500 extra laws. The Talmud contained 613 extra laws. So the Pharisees and the scribes, in an effort to protect God's people from breaking the law, they made extra, 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 extra laws. It was like tax code, like 
crazy. Like you, 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 you literally couldn't understand it. You had Pharisees that spent their whole career trying to understand it, just like lawyers spend their entire career trying to understand laws. So complex. So when they attack Jesus, they're not actually attacking him for something in the scriptures that God said that he couldn't do. They're attacking him for something that scribes and Pharisees later added that he couldn't do. Verse 25, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his, com- and his companions were hungry and need of food? He entered into the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companies. Now, I, I, we're going to have to talk about that another time because this is like, it's too much to get into and, and it steers away from where I want to go. Um, there's lots of typology between David and Christ, uh, but... We can talk about that later. You could research it on your own, but picking it up in verse 27. Then he said to them, this is what I want you to zoom in on, verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, in response to their accusation of the Sabbath, he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, this is intriguing for me. This story, when you kind of zoom out and think about how cool this story is, here are these religious leaders questioning the one who created Sabbath and questioning the Word himself, the law of God, the lawgiver of God, the character of God in human flesh. They're questioning him about what the Sabbath actually was meant to be for. And Jesus responds so perfectly. He responds so perfectly. He says two things, and this is going to be the framework for where we're going to go. The first thing he says is that Sabbath is for man. Okay, and we're going to talk about that a little bit first. And then the second thing he says is that Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath. So let's look at the first statement that he answers with, verse 27. Sabbath was made for man. What does he mean by that? Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. This is the principle of Sabbath. Now, why did God make Sabbath? He knew, okay? God knew that we needed rest. He knew. When he created the heavens and the earth, and he breathed life into the clay and the dirt that has become you and I, he understood that we would get tired. He He understood that we would be weary. He literally took a day off in creating the heavens and the earth, not because he was tired, but because he knew we would be, because he wanted to model for us. See, what Jesus is saying here, he's opening the curtain as to what the whole point of Sabbath was. God rested with you and I on his mind. He rested so that we would rest. He rested to set the example for us, not because he was tired. God knows we're finite. He knows we run out of energy. He knows our bodies are in a steady decline. He knows that we have to reboot. And so Jesus' response is that God designed Sabbath for man. He made it for us because it's necessary for our existence as human beings. To exist, we must rest. Just like God designed the stomach and God designed the human being with the intention that he would have to eat food to live, and you would have to drink water to live, God designed man with the intention that Sabbath would be a means of life for them. 
Okay, it's built into the DNA of who you are. You were designed for Sabbath. Okay, you were designed for Sabbath. You were designed for a reset, and essentially what a Sabbath is, is a reset. If I don't turn my phone off for more than a couple weeks or months, it starts acting really funny. So once in a while, you've got to turn it off, let it sit for a few minutes, turn it back on. It needs to reboot. It needs to start fresh. Okay, that's just a principle of life. That's why we go to sleep at night. We need a, a reset. At the end of our day, when you're having a tough day, you lay your head on your pillow, you start over, you wake up, it's a new day. Just like you have chapters in a book. If you read a book and didn't have any chapters, it would get so boring and so monotonous. You need something to bookend. You need something to break it up. You need something to hit reset. Rest is necessary for life. It's how God designed you and I. Okay, if anyone has ever done any kind of physical training, whether it be running or lifting weights or, mar or uh, 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 triathlon or swimming, or anything, you understand that when you exercise, that's not when you're actually getting stronger. When you exercise, you're actually breaking your body down. You're tearing your muscles, and then it's the rest that actually makes you stronger when your body rebuilds. That's what's important. That's why bodybuilders, they'll lift one muscle group a week, and then they'll rest a full week because they know they have to rebuild those muscles. And so last week, we talked about being servants, and we talked about spending ourselves, and we talked about how our lives were given to be spent, not to be saved, okay? And that is absolutely true, but that fits perfectly with the principle and the theology of Sabbath, that you are to spend yourself, yes, but you are also to rest, and the two go together perfectly. You can't do one without the other, they're extremely necessary. Now, the next question would naturally be, what is rest? Okay, what is rest? I think it's going to be different for everybody. Okay, it's going to be different for everybody. For the guy pulling chain at the mill, he probably wants to go home, kick his feet up, and rest his body. That's probably what he needs for Sabbath, is to rest his body. For the cop who, who is out all night on Friday, um, you know, breaking up bar fights downtown, he probably needs an, an emotional rest. He probably needs uh, something where he doesn't have to stress or think about dealing with stress, stressful situations. That's probably a Sabbath for him. For the scholar or, or the theologian or the person who teaches school or whatever, they probably need to rest from thinking, okay? Probably need to, to turn off their brain and not have to think for a while. That's probably rest for them. What the scriptures do say is that you need to rest from work. So whatever it is that is work for you, rest from that. So for me, a lot of my work is people, interaction, studying the scriptures, and, and dealing with things as they come up, overseeing things. So for me, a restful day for me is not doing a lot of those things, okay? For, for me, a restful day is, is, is putting aside some of the responsibilities I have to think about week to week, um, and it's in a lot of cases turning off my brain. Like when I get home on Wednesday nights, I just want to turn my brain off because it's completely dead after a whole day of studying and then preaching. The rest for me is the opposite of whatever it is I do. And God's saying you need to rest from whatever it is you do. Now, in the time of the Bible, most people did manual labor, right? Most people worked in the fields. They were farmers. They did those kinds of things. So they needed physical rest. But we don't live in that world today. I don't harvest my own grain. I don't catch my own fish. I don't hunt my own deer, okay? I don't. So we throw a hot pocket in the microwave, okay? So our rest is different than maybe other people, uh, you know, before us. So we have to think through that when we're thinking about what rest. The question you need to ask yourself is, what is restful for you when you're, when you're addressing and thinking about how do I take a Sabbath day? Now, can I just say, rest does not just mean it's your day off. 
I think if, if, if we were to take a poll in here um, and ask everybody, like, do you take a Sabbath? Almost everyone would say yes. And then if you were to actually look at what Sabbath really is, you would realize that you don't. Most of us don't take Sabbath, okay? It, a Sabbath is more than just, I don't work on that day, okay? A Sabbath is to be holy. It's to be set apart. It's a day that is designed specifically to rest. Here's what happens to me. My Monday and my Tuesday, which are my days off, become a junk drawer to catch everything I didn't do on, on, on the other days. And they become a junk drawer to do all the work things that aren't work things, like go to the DMV, like go and get groceries, like do that thing in the yard, or whatever it is, that project around the house, or take that stuff to the recycling, or whatever it is. All of that stuff ends up bombarding your day off, and then what happens is you never take a day off. You never actually rest because you're just so busy all the time, allowing your time just to go. Now, let me say this, resting, and again, this is the practical piece, okay? This is the practical piece of rest. Um, it takes work to rest. You have to be intentional. Randy and I, yesterday, we, we just had a conversation, and we kind of talked about what is rest for us, and what does it actually look like to, be, to be, um, have a day of rest on our Sabbath? Because honestly, even though we have days off, a lot of times it just feels like we just end up doing stuff that we don't like doing those days. We end up at the DMV, we end up at line, we end up getting groceries, we end up paying bills, we end up, and it just feels like work seven days a week. And so now we want to be intentional. So we say, what is restful for me? And, and so we kind of sat down and we just made a little bit of a list. Um, it was kind of funny how opposite some of our stuff was. <laughs> She's like, I want to eat healthy. I'm like, I want to eat bad. Um, <laughs> it was, it was kind of funny. Um, but, but we're just talking through that and figuring out what's restful for you, what's restful for me. Um, we came to some conclusions like we don't want to talk about money or bills on that day. We don't um, want to talk about work on that day. We want to not really have anything pressing that we have to do. No appointments, no scheduled things, just enjoy each other's presence, enjoy being with family. That, that's kind of what we came up with um, along with some other things. So just can't, to, to kind of give you guys an idea of, of what rest in principle looks like, um, but we should see this as a gift from God. God gave us Sabbath as a gift. He knew you needed it. Let's take it. Let's enjoy it. Now, I'll say this just as a side note too. If you're having a hard time resting on your Sabbath, it also could be because you're not working hard enough on the other days, okay? Now, this is a generational thing. Uh, most older people don't rest, and most older people, or younger people rest too much. Uh, it's usually just kind of how it goes. The older you get, the harder you work, tech, uh, usually. Um, but sometimes you don't rest well because you haven't spent yourself well. It says very specifically in there that you are to work the six days and then rest one. That doesn't mean you have to work at your job for six days, but that means that you're spending yourself for six days. You're investing yourself for six days. You're pouring yourself out for six days, and then you rest for one, and you make that day a day of rest. There's no rest like the rest you get when you're exhausted, right? When you've given it all in everything. So that's kind of more the practical piece, the principle of rest. Um, but here's the problem, okay? Uh, I could say all that at a TED Talk and have nothing to do with God, and everyone would be like, oh yeah, that's good. We should take a day off. Okay? But the reality is, is that you can do all those things perfectly and still not find rest, right? I mean, how many times have we had a weekend that was supposed to be the most amazing weekend, and it was all set up, and you didn't have to do anything, you didn't have any responsibilities, and you got done, and you just didn't feel rested. You just still felt tired. I remember years ago, when I was like 19 years old, and um, I think I was... Uh, um, 
before, way before I was married, I had kids, and I was working for my dad, and my parents were going to Kauai, and they were like, hey, do you want to come? We'll pay for it. And I was like, yeah, you know, of course. My dad brought me because he wanted a snorkeling buddy, and my mom didn't want to go snorkeling. So they brought me along, and, and, and it was all paid for, and I was like, great. Now, I had heard my whole life about how Hawaii is like the ultimate place. It's the ultimate place of rest. Like, when you get there, the angels come and sing, and, 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 and it's like everything is good, you know? And you just sit on the beach, and you, whatever. It's just going to be great. And so I went there with this expectation that everything was just, I'm just going to have the most relaxing time. And that was really, it's this kind of stressful season as a 19-year-old. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't really like where I was living. I didn't really know who I was. I was really angsty. And I'm thinking, finally, two weeks in Hawaii, I'm going to be so rested. And it, I got home from that trip just feeling so depressed. In fact, I was depressed on the trip, all throughout the trip. And I couldn't figure out what's wrong with me. I'm snorkeling with my dad and the, the Nepali coastline, and we're hiking into waterfalls, and this is so cool. But I was depressed. I was depressed because I couldn't get rest. I wanted to rest so bad. I wanted to be recharged. I wanted to find joy. I wanted to find happiness. And I was convinced that this trip was designed for me to be rested, and it didn't make me rested. And I was so frustrated and so depressed about it. I came home feeling tired and burnt out and sort of discouraged. And I realized right then that rest has to be deeper than just your surroundings. It has to be deeper than just taking that vacation, than just kicking your feet up. Okay, rest has to be more than sitting in the recliner all day, eating Doritos and watching football for some of you, okay? Rest has to be more than getting that foot massage or pedicure or whatever it is. Those things, yeah, they're great, we can enjoy them, but they're not going to give you the real, deep, honest, thorough rest that you're longing for in your soul. They're just not going to. And the reality is that we all are chasing rest. We're chasing it. And in every avenue that we can find, we're chasing it through work. If I work hard enough, maybe I'll get enough money where I don't have to stress about bills and then I can rest. If I can get through just this last few years and retire, then I can rest. I can just get through till my kids are not in diapers anymore, maybe I can rest. Or my kids sleep through the night, maybe I can rest. Or, or you know, whatever. I get that promotion, then I can rest. But it never happens. We never, ever get the rest that we're longing for and we're chasing it and chasing it and chasing it and it's absolutely exhausting. The Jews have a word for this Thing that we seek for, this rest. It's called shalom. Can you say that? Shalom. It's kind of fun to say, right? It's this idea of peace. It's this idea of deep, thorough, intrinsic peace in the, the deepest parts of our hearts that, that, that we don't stress, that we are at rest. It's the idea of what heaven is. It's what we're all longing for, right? This, this shalom, this peace. It's deep in our soul, and we're chasing it. But the problem is, is no matter what we do, the stress continues to build, the anxiety continues to build, the weight of our insecurities bear down day after day, baggage continues to pile up, our list of failures grows longer. The older you are, the more failures you have. The longer you live, the more stupid things you've done, okay? It just continues to pile and continues to pile. Your body wears out and rest seems farther and farther and farther away. It's just the way that life goes. The problem is, is that we are not tired physically. Some of us are. Some of us will sleep good tonight. The problem is not that we're just tired emotionally or that we're just tired mentally. The problem is that most of us are tired in our souls. We're tired in such a deep place in our heart that we can't rest it. It's like an itch that you can't scratch. 
And we ache to rest in that deep, deep, deep part of our hearts. We ache for that shalom. And no matter what the world gives us, no matter what we do, no matter what we try, we cannot seem to rest that part of our soul. You guys know what I'm talking about? I feel it all the time. I think I'm tired. And I don't understand why. And everything that I do does not seem to take away that tiredness. Ever heard the term hope deferred makes the heart sick? That's why you're so tired. Because you have been let down time and time and time and time again. Firstly, you've been let down by this world, right? It's got nothing for you. The older you are, the more you know that. My daughter, she's two. Everything is exciting for her. As a 26-year-old, I've already realized that most things aren't that exciting anymore. And I've been let down by the world. I've been let down and realized that it's really not that exciting. But even more than that, the reason my soul is tired is because I've let myself down. So many times, it's made my heart sick. I'm tired of letting myself down. We strive to be good parents just to fail and see that we messed up. We strive to be good husbands just to realize that we hurt our wife or our husband once again. We strive to be good employees or strive to be good bosses just to realize that we've lost our business and now we can't do it anymore. We strive to be good Christians only to fail time and time and time and time again. We've, we strive to maintain our relationships only to hurt people and be hurt by other people. Uh, we strive to become financially secure only to realize that we've lost all our money when the stock market took a dive. Just continually, continually striving and continually failing. Continually being disappointed in ourselves and we're exhausted from it and we can't seem to find rest from the exhaustion that comes from these kinds of things it's a never-ending reminder that you are a failure life feels like that sometimes and most of us think well if i can just get out of town if i can just get on that island on that beach chair if i could just get that rv i could just get that job or that house or that couch or that whatever then Finally, I'll rest this ache in my soul, but it won't because you're still going to be disappointed in yourself and in the world. Because we're tired and we need rest. What is the answer? If you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. So it's interesting when God gave the law in Exodus, that was the first time that he gave the law. And then 40 years later, when an entire generation of the Jews had died off, and it was another generation now, the generation that would go into the promised land, then it was, it was important, it was crucial that God give the law again, that God reiterates the law. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 through 15, says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or your ox or your donkey, any of the livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Listen to this part. You shall remember that you were a slave 
in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, did you notice what part was different here versus Exodus chapter 20? There's one phrase. He said, remember the Sabbath because I want you to remember that you were slaves. Now, this is interesting, okay? In Exodus, he didn't say that. Why? Because they were slaves like weeks before. They didn't get rest before. The, the, the Israelites were in a situation where Egypt was controlling them so much that they could not rest. There was no rest for them, no days off, beating their backs 16 hours a day, building bricks constantly, and there was no rest for the Jews. Then when God freed them and sent them into the wilderness and he said, hey, I want you to take a day off, there was no explaining needed. That was like, okay, sounds great. Day off, God's grace. 40 years pass and all of a sudden God wants to reiterate and make something very, very, very clear. And he says, this is why the Sabbath is important. It's important because I want you to remember that you are free from slavery. Now, what is Egypt always a picture of in the Bible? The world. Egypt is a picture of the world and the world systems, okay? It's a picture of the world. So what God is saying is that you will always be a slave in this world. You will never find freedom in this world. The Sabbath is the day that you say, I remember that he is my freedom. The Sabbath is the day that you stop and look up and say enough thinking that that's going to make me rest. I know where the source of rest is. It's a reminder. What are we resting from? We're resting from ourselves, from being slaves to our own expectations, to letting ourselves down continually, time and time and time again. I need a vacation from myself, and that's what Sabbath is. Sabbath is saying, enough with going to Egypt, enough with being a slave, enough with the, the, allowing this world to rule you, I'm where freedom is, come to me. What Jesus is saying here, when he says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, in our text, in verse 28, the Son of the Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, what he's really saying is that I am the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I'm God, so if I want to break the Sabbath, which he didn't, if I want to do this, then I'm going to do it. That's not what he said. He said that I am the Lord even of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is that I am the rest that was described in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. I am that rest. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is the same thing that he said to the woman at the well. When he said, literally, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. It will quench the deepest parts of your soul that you cannot rest he, and he alone can rest that part. You cannot rest that part. Not through good works, not through doing it right, not through doing enough things uh, the way that you wanted to do them, not through enough money, not through enough leisure, not through enough playtime, not through enough golf. None of it will get and trickle down to the part of your soul that is exhausted. Only the living water can do that. Only Jesus being your Sabbath 
can do that. When Jesus says, I'm the Lord of Sabbath, he's saying the same thing he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, when he says, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The Sabbath is bigger than just taking a day off, okay? As important as that is, and I hope I made that clear, it's important. Taking a day off is not going to fix the ache that you have in your heart to rest. Only Jesus is that Sabbath. Only Jesus can be that yoke that you were designed to carry. Follow me on this. This is cool. Tim Keller, in his book um, on Mark, he, he talks about a crucial component to rest. Now listen, a crucial component to rest is this. You rest the most when you feel like you've completed something well. And you can step back and say, whew, did it. It's done. It's finished. I did the best I could, and now, and now I'm done. That's, that's when you rest the most, is when you feel like you can step back from something and say, okay, there it is. Finished product, done. I feel like I can rest now. Of course, that only lasts for a millisecond because then the next thing comes, right? It's like me on Wednesday nights. I spend all this time prepping to teach on Wednesdays. And I finish and I go, oh, whew, done. And I'm like, okay, tomorrow's Thursday. Start over. Okay, you know, it's, it's never, there's never fully rest. But you rest when you step back and say, okay, I'm happy with what it is that I made. Now God, when he rested, did exactly that. He, for six days, created the heavens and the earth. And then on the seventh day, he stepped back and he said, look what I've made. I'm going to take a second and I'm going to enjoy the work that I've just put in. And I'm going to find rest in the work that I just put in. But here's the problem. I'm not satisfied with my work. And none of us are. That's why we can't rest. We can't rest because we're constantly thinking, I could have done that better. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I did that wrong. I didn't try hard enough. We're constantly not content with what we've done so we can never rest. Here's the good news. Okay, here's the good news. Is that rest comes not when you, listen, rest comes not when you step back from your work and say, look what I did. But rest comes when you step back from his work and look at what he did. You see, the gospel is this. The gospel is not that, 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 that the shalom comes when you say, oh, I did it. I've arrived. I've achieved. The gospel is that shalom comes when you realize that you failed miserably and you step back and say, but he did it perfect for me and gave it to me. That my worth is in his life. That my worth is in his success, not in my failure. As Christians, you guys, we can rest because it's not about our lives. It's about his. It's not about our perfection because we don't have it. It's about his perfection because he is perfection. That is Sabbath. Sabbath is taking a day and making it set apart to say that I have got to remember today that this life is not about me. It's about Jesus because I failed. If you don't believe me, keep trying. Go on that vacation. Go on that cruise. Make that money. Do whatever it is that you think it is going to do that's going to give you rest, but you will constantly be aching in your soul because it'll never be enough. And until you recognize that Jesus is enough and that he lived the life perfectly that you couldn't and then gave it to you for free, you will never rest. I was talking to my buddy about this just last week. There's nothing more freeing than being a Christian because you can sit there and be completely honest about your failures because it's not about you. You can sit there and, and, and totally understand that you're a miserable wretch and say, my worth is in him. 
He's perfect. I know I'm a failure. That's what makes you get the gospel, that you need a savior. So Sabbath, one of the number one things that God says in Exodus about it is to keep it holy. Well, what is holy? Set apart. It means that out of your seven days, one day is supposed to look different. Okay? Now, as new believers, or not as new, as new Testament believers, we should be living Sabbath lives, right? And we should be living lives where, where the gospel is at the forefront of our mind every day. But life gets busy. And the most important, the most crucial component to Sabbath, and, and probably the hardest one to find, is, is how do I make it set apart in a way that I get the gospel on that day? How do I make it set apart to where after my whole long, tiring week, that day is when I look back and see, but man, good thing it's not about me. When you get laid off and you have frustration in your relationships and there's tension in your marriage or whatever it is, you get to your Sabbath, you stop, you look around and you say, but it's not about me. It's about him. It's a clarity moment. It's a moment where you stop and say, oh yeah, I don't need to stress out right now because it's not about me. It's about him. Yeah, we're going to fail. We already know that. He is perfect for us. That's the point of the Sabbath. It's a reset. It's a day to be set apart. And it's a day to see that the world cannot rest you. Only Jesus can. This is what I love about being a Christian, okay? So I love about being a Christian. You don't always have peace. You don't always have it easy. You don't always, aren't always happy, okay? You're not always spiritual, but you always know where to go to get peace. We know the source. Like, we know where to go, and we forget but we know where to go. We know that he has the life. Anyone in here that is a Christian knows exactly what I'm talking about. When, when, the, when the fecal matter hits the fan and you don't know where else to go, okay, you go to him. It's, 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 that's the only place that there's answers. It's the only place that there's hope. It's the only place that there's life. That's Sabbath. And we need that every week. It just needs to be stitched into the rhythm of our lives. So, how do we find this rest? I went snowboarding uh, last week. I think I told you guys I was pretty banged up from that. Um, snowboarding, and uh, it was so funny, you know, because I was just focusing on not dying. Like, that, it took all of my, all of my, my like, seriously, like, every ounce of focus. Okay, carve, don't fall, don't fall. Like, all I could do just to not fall. And then, you, you, you know, it takes only like a few minutes to get down the hill, and then you're like, okay, get back on the lift and go again. And you want to get as many runs as you can because you don't get to go very often. And, and it's just this busy thing. You're like, go down, get on the lift, go back up, go down, get on the lift. And I realized like three hours into the day after falling and falling and getting up, and I realized that I didn't realize like where I was. I fell down one time, and I kind of just sat there for a minute and looked around and went, wow, I'm on Shasta. <laughs> this is beautiful. There is snow everywhere and it's blue sky day and it's warm and why have I not noticed this yet I've just been so focused on getting down the hill and not dying <laughs> that I completely missed the fact that I'm on Shasta right now. this is beautiful what a blessing that I'm here that Sabbath okay it's stopping from your crazy millennial busy life it's setting your phone aside or whatever it is that distracts you and says, I need to sit on my bottom and notice that I'm at Shasta and notice God's grace and notice that, man, look at all of the blessing in my life. Look at how the gospel has changed me. 
Look at my beautiful family. Look at how he's working through this. Look at how he's working through that. To reflect on his grace, past, present, and future. It's stopping and resetting and saying, now I'm ready for a new week because I've been rested in the deepest part of my soul because I've remembered that it's all about him. That's Sabbath. It's stopping and looking around and realizing. So here's, here's maybe just a couple of helpful practical points and then we'll close. Um, make a plan, okay? Make a plan. If you guys... Um, and I really, I really hope that we, we, we take this seriously. If you guys are saying, I want to I live a Sabbath life. I want to I install Sabbath into my life as a Christian. Here's a, couple, here's a couple helpful things. Ask two questions about when you're deciding what to do on that day. Okay? And, and these, are, these are taken from what Jesus just said. He said, Sabbath is for man, and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? And what Exodus says, it says, keep it holy and rest. Those are the, two, those are the only two things. Okay, we're not going to look at what the Jews wrote about literally tying a string to yourself so you can go into town and not get into trouble. Um, we're not going to look at any of that. No, what Jesus said was very clear, what the Old Testament said was very clear, make it restful and make it holy. That is what the guidelines are for Sabbath. We don't need to get legalistic about it. It's for you to, to, to define. So is it restful? Is it something that's going to allow you to be recharged? Okay, so maybe that's no computer. Maybe that's no internet, maybe that's no junk food, maybe that is junk food, maybe whatever, whatever it is, okay, find out what it is that's going to be restful. And then secondly, how do I make this day set apart? Now, that doesn't mean you pull out your yoga mat and, and, and pray, um, you know, with a big gong. Like, I'm not talking about getting weird. It can be a normal day. But how do you get the gospel into your mind? How do you, um, how do you take that day and say, I just want to reflect on God's grace, and this is, this is not something that I'm doing yet. This is something I want to think about this week and really say, okay, Monday's coming. What am I going to do Monday? Not only to rest, but to remind myself of the gospel, that it's all about Jesus and it's not about me. So two filters there, okay? Is it restful? Is it holy? Is it set apart? And then ask yourself, what's keeping you from this? Is it busyness? Okay, here's a thought. My wife and I have talked, like, we're going to do our stuff that we have to do on Tuesday instead of Monday. We have a bill to pay and we have to go to the DMV. It can wait till Tuesday. Okay, and we're gonna go grocery shopping and ideally on Sunday. And try to do that stuff Sunday so that so that Monday is just a day that we don't have to think about that stuff. It's a day of space and a day of clarity and a day of focus. So what's keeping you from that?